the Making Sense of Life podcast, episode eight. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. Today's episode comes to you from Delhi, India, and we're privileged to have um, Anuj Bahari, who is our special guest today. Hi there, Anuj. Hi. Hi. Anuj is the owner of a bookshop in Khan Market in Delhi, and it's been well-known and established in Delhi since the time of partition in 1947. Uh, Anuj, why don't you tell us a little bit about the bookshop? Uh, like you said, well, it's a bookshop and it's been there for a really long time. So this is our 62nd year in business. We started in 1953 and not at partition, but soon after partition. And we've survived all that long. And you yourself have written a book about the, about the bookshop that goes to the time of your father and the time of partition itself, haven't you? Yes, I, I have. It was actually a book that actually came out by chance and wasn't planned out. So it was technically a birthday gift for him for the 75th birthday. Uh, and uh, so, yes, um, it's, a it's, it's, it's a book about the bookshop. Yeah, and the book is called, I've got it here in my hand, it's called Bahari Sons, Chronicle of a Bookshop by Anuj Bahari and Debbie Smith. It's available on Amazon, but uh, Anuj says to me that if you are ever in Khan Market and you want to come to the bookshop, he will gladly give you a free copy. And, uh, and you're very welcome to do that as well, although it is available on, on Amazon. But let's talk about the book, because the reason why I very much want to discuss it is it's a book about uh, Anuj's father, Balraj Bahari Mahotra, and the rich relationship of networks and connections he created. 1947 was a very traumatic time in the history of India with the partition with Pakistan on, 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 on the um, eastern side. It's also, but it's also this book, the story of entrepreneurship and calculated risk-taking. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, Anuj, about, about your father's and, and the family he came from in, in Pakistan? Well, uh Technically, my dad is from uh, a family not of entrepreneurs, but a family of policemen and military men. So it was quite, uh, uh, it's quite, it was quite a change for him to be looking at things other than being in service of the government of one sort or the other. Uh, so, so, for example, my great-grandfather, uh, or rather my great-grandfather's, were um, all jailers, you know. So, um, and my grandfather was uh, uh, was a manager of a bank. That's right. 
And they, as you said, they came from a family of landowners, uh, but they had no literary background. Um, your father left at, at, the, left at the age of 19 from the village of Malakwal. He arrived in Delhi as destitute and as a refugee, and yet with great determination and resilience, set up a successful bookshop in what has become a prime location of Delhi, Khan Market. Well, it's been quite a journey. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you've summed it up in such a short sentence, it's, uh, yeah, to sum it up is good, but it's been a really uh, hard and a traumatic journey. It's not been easy. Yes, we're going to go on that journey from back from from the story of your father back in from his childhood in 1947 but just tell us a little bit about where the bookshop is now it's one of the most best stocked bookshops in delhi Uh, you have three bookshops and you're a center for literary agents and famous book authors Um, in the book you've got we've got pictures of meetings with indra gandhi yasser arafat amitabh bachchan lots of different celebrities Um, yeah tell us a little bit about that um, well, you've said everything. You, you've left nothing for me to say. But uh, you forgot one thing. It's the most expensive real estate today. Yes. It's one of the most... It is, in fact, actually, that location is one, I think, the top 10 most expensive real estates, not just in India, but in the whole world. It's quite staggering how that has changed. And it all started um, with this young man, Balraj Bahari Malhotra, who left uh, Pakistan in 1947. Uh, let's, let's, talk, let's, let's go and look at that then. So uh, he was a second of four children from an upper caste Hindu Kshatri Punjabi family. As you said, his father was the respected manager of the only bank uh, in the busy wholesale market and railway junction town of Mandi Bahawuddin. He had a happy-go-lucky childhood. He loved Kawalis. Uh, he, and he said that going up in that village, aims were high, but achievements were pretty low. So your father uh, wanted to be an engineer or a school teacher. But as he says in the book, but the owner of a bookshop in an alien city, not in my wildest dreams. So his brother, Devinder, joined his father into the bank, and so they were able to support Balraj to go to university in Ralpindi to study. What did, what did he study? What did he, what was, what was Pindi. In Rinia, what, did he, what did he study? In, in, in... Uh, I think it was mathematics and history. If I'm not wrong, it was a very strange combination, but my dad loved mathematics. But it, it was in that environment that he says his dedication to learning grew and that he desired to achieve something more than was expected by the tradition of the time. So, but then we had, as it were, the horrors of partition. And I'm just quoting from page nine of the book. He says, life was simple then. Hindus, Muslims, what was the difference? We lived as one, brothers of the same street. Agitation and uprisings, when they happened, were not communal. The two communities were united and fought against a common enemy, the foreigners, of course, which were the British in our homeland. But to fight each other was unheard of. Yet on that day, we could hear cries from across the boundary of our house, cries of friends begging for their lives to be spared. In my younger days, I'd heard of demons who set foot on earth to rid it of the human race and human decency. It seemed as those, those demons were amongst us, stamping out all that was good. So Balraj's family were in, in a Hindu mohalla or ward with about 500 Hindu families living in the town. And in the countryside and in smaller ridges around, the Muslims dominated. So the Hindus were the educated class and they were the businessmen, the office workers, while, while the Muslims tended towards manual labor in the fields and factories. So you had this incredibly painful time and horrible atrocities. He says... Atrocity, mounted atrocity. Homes were burnt, human beings were slaughtered, entire families were wiped out. Relatives running a few paces behind their kin were lost forever. Husbands were separated from their families, wives were raped and killed, and children, screaming, ran from person to person, searching for their parents. They had to leave their ancestral home before August the 15th, 
1947. Riots began, forcing him to take refuge in the local police station for a few days, and then this cotton factory. And then they eventually had to take this train to go across. Tell us a little bit about that, and a, a very interesting thing that happened at that point. Well, actually, it was a very traumatic journey for the, for the family um, to be on that train because it was, it was a train that was actually supposed to bring them back to safety across the border um, and sort of a, you know, a chariot of, as a safe haven for them. But it was not so for him and his family because my grandfather who was a bank manager and probably the only bank in that area, uh, was actually held back. Uh, so it was, it, you know, I've written about it in the book. It, it's, a, it's a long sequence of how he was held back. And so it was a pretty traumatic journey for... The train, the train was leaving, it was coming out of, of Pakistan, and yet the train was stopped, and they asked for one specific individual who was um, Baraj's father. He, yeah, so like I said, it's, it, was, it was very traumatic for him because, and his family because, uh, I mean, put yourself in his situation. Uh, the whole family is sitting in a compartment and all of a sudden uh, your father starts hiding under the uh, berth of the, of the train and nobody knows what's going on. And suddenly there's a lot of commotion outside on the, on the platform and they start you know, shouting out his name. His name was Daryailal. So they kept saying, Malotra, Malotra, Daryailal. So, you know, it's, it's a situation you don't want to find yourself in at a time um, in these trying times. So around you as well at the same time yeah yeah that's right so so uh, i mean just just think of the horror what his mother must have felt uh, or what the children must have felt when they and and you know there's there's this crowd of people outside yelling out his name and their father who's the Rayalal, is actually hiding under the uh, the birth um, so it's 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 tough you know I, I i we can only think of this situation but to be in it is a totally different uh, feeling yes, with no idea what's going to happen next so they 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 call out for balraj's father and they say that they want him to go back to this t- back to where he came from with all the potential dangers that 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 could, that, that could be involved and one of the people, he swears on his son's... Was that a Muslim man? Do you know? Yeah. So, so uh, you know, this is so funny, actually. But um, uh, technically, they wanted him on loan for one month from my grandmother. I mean, that was the, that was the funny part, though. But at that junction, uh, at, at, at that juncture, it seemed like such a horrible thought where somebody's asking uh, for you to loan your husband so that he could teach the rest of the staff how to bank. Now, none of the people other than, because like I said, most of the people who worked in the bank were Hindus, and they weren't Muslims. So Muslims actually did various other jobs, but they never did any paperwork and stuff like that. So nobody really knew how to run the bank, and that's the reason why he was asked to stop back. And so, and remember, this is a time of no technology. You've got no mobile phones. You've got no internet connection. Basically, that person is then gone and out of sight, not, certainly not out of mind, but with no communication. And you don't know whether you're going to ever see him again. 
Yeah, but you see, those were also times when people believed in each other. So there is this guy who actually swears upon his son's life that, uh, you know, I swear upon my son that within the month I will ensure that your husband is brought back to safety. So, you know, a person's word went a long way. Yes, that's, that's, that's very interesting. But let's, let's move on. And eventually, how long was it until he did come back? I think it was two or three months yeah. that after. It wasn't a month, so that's why the family got worried. But I think eventually, I think it was two and a half or three months or something like that. So Balraj comes with no father and knowing no one to the city of Amritsar. He does low-paying menial jobs. There's this chance meeting with an uncle. Again, remember, this isn't a time with no mobile phones, no phones, no... You know, a letter might take a few weeks to arrive if it ever arrives at all. No communication contacts. Um, but this letter arrives from the father, and they decide to go to Delhi. And they come to Delhi, and they come to what's called Kingsway Camp, where they lived for a few years. And just a, a little insight into, um, into your mother. The first thing you say in page, on page 43, the first thing my mother did on entering her new domain was to sit down and pray and to thank God but for the mercy he had shown by bringing that, the family through safely. I think a real reflection of her devotion and faith. Do you want to say anything about your mother? Because she doesn't sort of come very much in the book, but there's, there's, uh, there's a lot that's happening behind this, the scenes. This, this is actually about my grandmother. Okay, because yes, that's, yeah, that's yes, my sorry. grandmother, because okay. that's when they come into the refugee camp, which was actually set up at Kingsway Camp, and that's why it's called the Kingsway Camp. And um, so, so this is my grandmother's thoughts, when they came together, it was, you know, they were, they were housed in, in, in this huge barrack. Uh, it's just like any refugee camp. I mean, today, if you look at any refugee camp around the world, it's exactly the same. So they went through the, uh, through the, through the process of the refugee camp. And so that's, that's a moment where she's thanking her, her God or, you know, for bringing the family together. That's yes. all. But remember, they, they, they're now in Delhi, they're destitute, they don't have anything, and, but they are reunited together as, as, as relatives and family. And there's this ingenious idea to go to the open sheds where trains were parked overnight for their regular maintenance, and then to board the empty carriages early in the morning. Tell us about that. That's a fascinating story. Yeah, that's a really fascinating story. I mean, I never knew that as uh, to, be, to be one of my father's first entrepreneurial um, ventures. But look, it's really funny because those are times when there was no reservation on, on, on trains and stuff. So whoever got the seat got it. And as long as you were sitting, nobody could actually ask you a question as to why you have the seat or whatever. So these... Uh, so four of these, four or five of these boys, young boys from the camp, they would go to the shed, the shed where the trains were cleaned and stuff like that, and they would sit and sleep on the berths and, and occupy them so that by the time the train actually came to the platform for boarding of the passengers, they already had two or three berths that they had reserved and then they started selling one one seat for a certain value. That's right. It was, it was for the huge sum of five rupees, or in, in UK money, that's five pence, or about eight cents in uh, American currency. Well, well, in today's time, it's five pence, but uh, at the time of partition, five rupees was more or less 
equal to uh, a, a, a five-pound note. So the values were quite different at that time. But he says, uh, he, but you say in the book, he, he says, um, Devind and I were able to take home on our first day the unthinkable sum of 16 rupees, which was way beyond anything they could imagine. That's right. Well, 16 rupees at that time was uh, half a month's salary. <laughs> but true to the hardworking character of the Punjabi, he says, the more we worked, the happier we were. This had less to do with the desire for wealth or status as an inability to remain idle and a need to work for work's sake. So though we managed to earn a living at the station, we were always on the lookout for new opportunities. So there's something about this innate desire to not just to sit there, as he says it, to sit there idly, but to really make a difference with what they had. Um, there is, a, just a, as an aside, there is a blog post on do you work to live or live to work, talking about how that's an innate, God-given, as it were, um, trait that God has given us to, to, to want to do something um, with, with our lives. And so they, it moves on, you know, temporary jobs. He, he, he joined an institute in Suftajung, which was six miles from the camp. And he, he said he was required to get up early in the morning. He walked six miles one way and then six miles back, okay, until his mother could get some money for a bicycle. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, look, he's a refugee. He has no money. He's got, he's got nothing. He doesn't have a bicycle. He can't spend the fare for the bus. So he walks. It's... Standard. I mean, my mother walked all the time. My dad walked all the time. So, uh, till the time you got a bicycle, as simple as that. That's right. So it's 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 again, and it's we're talking about India as as well. So in 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 the heat and and everything like that, without a lot of the things that we take for granted. But he he works. He, he so he eventually gets some money to, to get a bicycle. They work as he works as a salesman. As a salesman. Uh, he secures a tender to load and unload government books that are at a railway station to then send them on to warehouses. Uh, again, very few people were doing this, but he saw that there was a niche in the market. He saw there was an opening there. Um, again, remember, we were a time when very few people had work as well. He learned from warehouse contacts of the benefits of being offered by the government to companies for land, homes, and jobs that were lost in Pakistan. So he's able to get, the vendor was able to get a job in a bank. And then this, this idea of trying to expand, of not just delivering books, but getting the paperwork done. And this, I, this seed of an idea of a shop uh, takes, takes root. Uh, that's, uh, that, that shop was opposite Red Fort, and it's still run by Devinder, Baraj's um, brother, and, and his children. Do you want to tell us about that? About that? Yeah, that was actually, our, um, actually the boys' first venture into, into book selling. And uh, so they were... After, uh, you know, they started transporting books from the railway station to the Metcalf House, technically. That was where the publications division used to be. It was called the old Metcalf House. And so that is where they met uh, with the publications director, and he offered them to, to actually become a sales agent for government publications. And that is when this one shop in another refugee market, which was opposite the Red Fort, uh, of course, that shop still exists. Uh, Devinder is, of course, no more, but uh, his son runs it. That's my cousin. And that was their first venture when they started uh, uh, working in the book trade. And the whole, the whole idea of another bookshop, of course, originated from there. But before we get there, there's an interesting sort of, so it's not, it's not quite side track, but it, 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 another sort of part of the story, that uh, Baraj decides to volunteer at a social services camp. 
Uh, he said, I worked at the, sh- at the shop and, and in my spare time I also volunteered at a social services camp. I, I was absorbed by the work I did there and found it rewarding. But there was another reason for my dedication to the cause of social services. It was there that I met the two women who would become part of my future and who would, in their different ways, change my life completely. Tell us about these two women. Well, I, I think probably, I don't know, I, this, is, this is second-hand information, but I, look, I can only tell you what I know. Um, you know, as a refugee, you always have a soft corner for another person or another destitute or another person who's, who's in a difficult spot. So you always tend to lead or lend a, a helping hand. And that is where he, he, he liked to go to the camp. And he liked to help out uh, from whatever his experience has been because, because he was able to stabilize his own family. So he probably thought he could have actually helped other people. But I think the main reason why he, he actually went to the uh, camp uh, to help out was because of my mother, because I, I think he was infatuated by her. He saw her there once and probably just wanted to, uh, uh, you know, to befriend her, to know her, to know her better. And that is where he met when, when, when you know, I say the two women, that is my, uh, uh, that is my aunt, uh, Swaran and my mother. So these are the two women whom he met, and of course, uh, you know, uh, he eventually married my mother. And Swaran uh, was with our family uh, since then, till she passed on. It's very much like, a, like as, as an aunt to you, and also very interestingly, had a very important part to ro- role to play in in the bookshop that established, and. And let's, we're going to move on to talking about the bookshop now. It's, it started, the idea it was selling pens at a shop in Chandni Chalk and then hearing that shops in Khan Market were being allocated to refugees. And, and it says there, I was well aware that I had neither uh, money to invest nor the experience to undertake such a venture, but nevertheless became convinced that this was an avenue with, that was worth exploring. But how was I to begin? And, it, you know... Th- the whole story it brings me to a quote by Thoreau, which we'll co- come to a couple of times. It says, and let me just quote you what, what Thoreau says. He says, um, If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. He will pass an invisible boundary. New, universal, and more liberal laws will, will begin to establish themselves around and within, within him, and he will, within the lic- will, will have within the license of a higher order of beings. Very sort of mystical kind of quote, but something about when we make a decision about going somewhere, resources and opportunities suddenly begin to appear that we never noticed. I think we also talk about when the, te- when the student is ready, the teacher appears, uh, when you, I think you, you, you quoted earlier, uh, earlier on, uh, was, it, was that Hindi quote in, in the morning, um, when you wake up in the morning, Hindi me kaise hai? Jab jago tabhi savera. Jab jago tabhi savera. So when you wake up, then it's the morning. There's something about the opportunities arise. I think of, from a biblical context, when Jesus does healings, he talks, as your faith, as your faith is done unto you, he talks about people's faith opening up opportunities. Well, let's go back to the bookshop. He says... He asked Swaranlata's grandfather, who already had opened a shop in Khan Market, and he suggested that Balraj talk to the owner of the shop in Chandni Chalk. Now, 
The problem was this was a politician, and because Balraj was working there, he might be threatened because he might want to leave. And I just want to give, read to you from page 59 of the book, and just, just fascinating how, how Balraj was thinking. He said, I had some misgivings about approaching my employer. I knew my work was good and that he relied on me, and I wondered if he would be willing to let me go. Matters might go the other way, and he could use his connections against me. On one of the few occasions when he was actually at the shop, I gathered my courage and spoke to him. I pointed out that I had been a sincere and hard worker and that I had been happy working for him and that I knew that he was happy with my work. But I explained that this was not the end of the line for me. I wanted more. The politician immediately understood that something was expected of him and asked me what I wanted from him. I explained flatly that I wanted a shop of my own and that he was the one who could arrange this for me. The politician pointed out the obvious, that I had no money and only earned 80 rupees a month working for him. But I insisted that I wanted my own shop. It was with relief that I heard him agree to help, and he asked me when I wanted this shop. When I said Khan Market, his reaction was, oh, that refugee market. Fascinating, isn't it? Well, that time it was the refugee market, but while it's the happening market now... So in a few days, Balraj gets 150 rupees and the security of 50 rupees to, to ensure that that shop doesn't go to somebody else. Again, remember, they have no savings and anything they earn has to go on day-to-day expenses. And there's this discussion with the family about how are they going to raise the rest of the money. This, basically, this 200 rupees. And uh, Balraj's mother sells her gold wrap bangles to give the money. And three days later, in 1953, they have the papers of ownership in New Delhi in a totally unfamiliar uh, uh, area. And he says, we owned a shop. Hooray. (laughs) Well, I I put that in. But it was empty. When the first burst of pride and satisfaction of ownership had diminished, we had the most vital questions to answer. What would we sell in our new shop? And what would we pay for the goods and furniture and fittings? Swanlata's grandfather had this excellent suggestion that as they already had experience selling stationery in government publications, they needed to stay close to that as possible. But the costs were mounting. They now, they'd, they'd raised the 200 rupees for the, for, for the shop, but now they're going to need fixtures and fittings and a stationery counter for the huge sum of 800 rupees. Where were they going to find this 800 rupees? Uh, well, your guess is as good as mine. So I, either we get Balraj here or we rely on the book okay. and, and see how they raise the 800 rupees. Well, this guardian angel of Swaran Lata agrees to lend the whole amount, which he says, payable when able. And, uh, and also this advice as well to visit Prem Sagar, who is the luxury bookstore owner in Kanad Place, one of the oldest bookshops in Delhi. And... This, this bookshop owner, again, this another, if you like, guardian angel who turns up. As I said, you know, when, when the learner is ready, the teacher appears. When you make a commitment to a decision, suddenly opportunities arise. He knew the family. He knew their desire to succeed. He shared his knowledge of books. He shared the knowledge of running a, book, a business. He gave them a credit of the huge sum of 3,500 rupees. He telephoned other, other wholesalers and stood guaranteed to whatever was needed. He would even write a personal note to W.H. Smith in London, recommending that they open a credit account for Balraj. Now, again, just remember, he didn't have to do any of that, okay? It would be, you know, that that was amazing generosity. Tell us about that. You see, like I said, those were times when people's, the word of a person really went a long way. 
And when somebody takes a fancy to you, I mean, look, Prem Sagar was actually my father's mentor, you know. I mean, he relied on him. He just looked up to him for everything. And he was a man um, whom I believe, and I think all my generations to come will be so indebted to him because, uh, look, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have been around. And for somebody to actually actually open the hearts, open his heart, his, his bank, his money, his everything to my father uh, and, and not worry about when the money was going to be returned. Look, money was scarce at that time and those were difficult times also. But he, he just opened the door and said, do what you want, I'm with you. I mean, it's, 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 it's in many ways, I'd say it's, it's miraculous. I mean, Balraj says, in the, you have him saying in the book, I was profoundly grateful for all this help, but filled with apprehension. I did not know the first thing about the book trade. Having a stock of books was wonderful, but I was filled with a sense of panic when I realized that I would have to face the public, my customers, and I knew nothing about their tastes and wants and had no knowledge of Western titles. How would I know what my customers were asking? It would be impossible to stock every possible title they may request. Then Perim Saga gave me a simple but vital tip. To keep a, a pad and pen with me at all times, I could then note down at once a customer's orders or any questions he may ask. This was a simple solution to my shortcomings and limited knowledge of the book world. The customer would be my guide. And the customer has remained our guide till today because the... The, the, um, the policy of using the paper and pad still exists today at all our stores. So if you go to any of the stores, if you don't have anything, we don't go back to the computer. We just pick up the pad and make a note, take your number, and call you back. Yes, yeah, so some things change enormously, but some things never change. And I think that's one of the things that's, again, as we said at the beginning, this is a story about relationships and calculated risk-taking. And those things will never die out. Uh, yes, but like you said, that you have to take the first step. If you don't take the first step, the path doesn't open up for you. That's right. Exactly. If, if Balraj hadn't taken a lot of those first steps, you wouldn't have the bookshop that, that, that is there today. Um, just in, in, into his routine, he says, I used to open the shop at 9 a.m., take requests from customers and work until 1 when I would close the shop for lunch. I would then take my bicycle to meet a friend who was also a bookseller. He introduced me to the business of bookselling and would either supply me titles from his own shelves or take me to the old city to look for them. At 5.30 p.m., I would open the shop again. This was my routine for years. I've seen daily change over the years. As we said, Khan Market went from being a refugee market to what he calls a posh market, to one of the prime uh, real estate markets, not just in India, but in all over the world. But again, this is the secret. He says, I always try to, and you just talked about this, Anuj, as well. I always try to go a little further to meet my customers' demands. I would exhaust every possible source for a book before denying a customer's request. But it was the people, the customers of this area, who really helped me. Educated and kind, they did not take advantage of my simplicity or ignorance. Encouraged by their patience and forbearance, my knowledge grew. And it certainly grew. Yes, it certainly grew. Even I'm a bookseller now, so, you know. We're all supposed to be learned people now. That's right. So, so there we have this, you know, so we have this bookshop growing. You have um, 
the marriage now of uh, Balraj to Sabagia. You have uh, the role of Swaran Lata, your aunt, who also, I think, had a role in bringing you up and, and bringing your, your, um, your siblings up as well. The shop is expanding. Uh, as, yeah, as your parents working long hours and, and Swaran Lata looking after the children. Then constructing your own home, renting it to somebody called Peter Hess, moving to your own house in 1971. Great. There's lots of little nice little anecdotes and little stories. Tell us a little about the story. The stories of the school children who would come. Tell us about, about those stories of those school children. Um, the school children that would come to the store? Yeah, 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 that's right. Come to the store. Well, most, you know, most school children only come to, um, uh, you know, for shoplifting. <laughs> as simple as that. You know, they'll, they'll pick up anything that they can. And my dad was really, really helpful to them. Um, uh, look, if he caught somebody picking up a book, he wouldn't actually say anything to him and, and would just encourage him to read a little more and would ask him to pay back whenever he could, as simple as that. So he never actually took the wrong step of scolding somebody or saying anything bad or... And what happened to those school children? Tell us what happened to them when they came back, when they were much older, when they were IAS officers, when they were very educated... Big shots. What happened to them? Yeah, so so most of them still come back. You know, I mean, there's 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 somebody who who comes back even now, and he's he's now my friend, and he keeps talking about oh Balraj Bari. You know, Balraj Bari is the best, and Balraj Bari is the only person who's who's the best, and that's all what he keeps saying all the time. But this is a guy who actually never ever had any money uh, as a kid, and he had this thirst to read and my dad actually would allow him to take the books and pay whenever he could so you know if the book was one rupee the guy had probably 20 paisa with him so he would pay him 20 paisa and and the balance he would keep paying in small installments um uh, so it's not just that one case. There's this hundreds of cases that, uh, you know, people who have now become secretaries to the government or uh, directors to this department or to that department, and they've all visited us as children, little kids. Yeah, and it's, it's, it, it, he mentions in the book, school children would come in, sit in a corner and read until the evening. Occasionally one would slip a comic into his bag and walk out. Often they had an idea that I had seen them, but had remained quiet, and they carried this guilt for many years. Boys now grown into men have come to me 10, 15, and even 20 years later and sheepishly apologized for their misdemeanor. Some of these boys are now in important positions, educated and representing the country. I feel proud of them, that they were able to come back and admit to their small dishonesty and to apologize for what they did all those years ago. Yeah, but, it, you know, they did it for books, so it's okay. You know, it's, uh... <laughs> That's right. So let's come to a conclusion and some reflections, really, some lessons that we learn. So at the end of the book, uh, this is what's written. We say, when we were still struggling, we often remembered our time in Pakistan, where we lived like princes. While in Pakistan, we had vast agricultural lands. In Delhi, we were the paupers of the city, struggling to make ends meet. We wish partition had never happened, and our minds often wandered to the other side of the border. The people here in Delhi helped us rebuild our lives, but there was also a lot of resentment. Many locals accused refugees of taking their share of jobs and rations. But Delhi eventually became our home. Our hearts are now here. I never thought of returning to Pakistan. And, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, 
he doesn't want to go back he doesn't want to talk about his past now this is home this is what has made him who he is his contribution to the society to the city uh, i think it's it's delhi that has made him who he is uh, he doesn't want to go back and so some observations really just from the stories again this lack of bitterness or a sense of entitlement this sense of embracing what is in front of you and saying okay it's maybe not what i want i've lost everything i'm certainly i'm in a very difficult situation but let me look at what is in front of me and let me make the most of what is there yeah but uh, but this is but this is a very very punjabi trait you know um the punjabi as a society as humanity you know as 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 punjabis you never look back it's a situation that has happened you've passed it you've moved on and you look to the future and developing your future i think that's the reason why there was while the partition of pakistan and india the pakistan the the partition happened on both fronts on the west and the east both which was the bengal and punjab but it is the resettlement of punjab that has gone beyond everyone's expectations and they are by far the most prosperous and the most uh, influential people in society today because they never looked back it's a phase in history that happened it got over and they moved on that's right and there's also something there's this sense of moving on and also this sense of the network of relationships and trusted advisors and people who as you said who will do what they say and in a sense the fruit of that uh, has been quite staggering again that theory quote if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours he will pass an invisible boundary new universal and more liberal laws will begin to establish themselves around and within him and he will live within the license of a higher order of beings it's it is just another way of him explaining this small little thing called take the first step yes and so often i think in life we can feel intimidated or afraid about all the challenges and and, and problems that are in front of us how much even more so in, in the world that we live that's so volatile that's so ambiguous that's so complicated and apparently so tough so so difficult and yet it was it's always been that way but as you say it's taking that first step and uh, i encourage our readers whatever you're going through to think about whatever that first step you need to make in your you know but uh, before we close just tell us a little bit more about about where the bookshop is now and uh, and, and and what's going on well it's um it's not a s- It's still a small bookstore but it's a really well packed bookstore so uh we're still visited by most of the dignitaries and uh the higher bureaucracy and 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 the international delegations that come into the city so we are now a destination point so if you actually pick up pick up the um uh, any travel guide or something you will have the bookstore there as as a destination point for books um uh, we have three stores now and yeah we should have another one soon okay well thank you so much uh, for your time thank you for opening up the bookshop and the story of the bookshop to you and i hope our listeners have recorded really a glimpse of the remarkable story of bahari sons and over 60 years and the story as well of balraj uh, bahari malhotra and how he planted a seed all those years ago and with that network of relationships and calculated risk taking uh, the fruit that resulted thank you so much for your time thank you
If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now. <laughs>